0: Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you on this broadcast today. Real quick, next Sunday, we're going to be kicking off a new series called Trying Times. We're going to be walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, looking at the power of time in our lives. Today, though, we're finishing out a series we started a few weeks ago called Paradox. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I can't think of anything more frustrating than getting things stuck to your hands, like paint or glue. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, I was working on one of my many home projects, repainting a railing on our front porch. By the end of the day, my hands were covered in red paint. It looked like I'd gone through a war. On top of that, I'd cut all of my hands from scraping and sanding the railing the day before. It took days and days to get all that paint off. I washed them and washed them and and the paint was just caked on. I couldn't get it off. I, I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but it stinks when you get something on your hands and can't get it off. The only thing worse is when it's on your clothes. Like you spill something on your favorite shirt or your favorite pants and you try so hard to get it out and the harder you scrub, the worse it gets. If you have kids, you get this. They're the masters at getting things in places you never thought was possible to stain or to ruin or forever mark. Like you have to permanently put that throw rug on that spot on the floor. You have to repaint that one wall that your kids thought would make a great jello target board or that cute outfit you bought at Target. We're so excited to share with the world after the quarantine is forever ruined because your kids thought dinner was a finger painting activity. The, the struggle to clean things off that stick to us is incredibly difficult. I, I mean, we are obsessed right now about getting germs off of our hands or, or every other surface imaginable. And just like germs stick to us but are unseen, there's something else that sticks to us and is unseen but carries a powerful punch. I'm talking about the emotional baggage we carry around in bitterness, unforgiveness, grudges that we hold on to. Now, if you stuck superglue or paint on your hands and left it there, I'm not really sure how that might affect you physically, even over an extended period of time. It probably wouldn't be good, but I highly doubt it would be fatal. For the things that stick to us emotionally, though, the impact they have on us can be devastating, even toxic. This is because these things are not only creating a dark place in our hearts, but that darkness slowly infects every other area of our lives. You see, what we hold on to eventually grabs hold of us and slowly strangles the life out of us. Uh, Or what I want to share with you, this idea, what sticks to us can sour us. This is really what Jesus was trying to allude to when his disciple Peter asked him about forgiving others. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 18 verse 21. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Peter was actually being generous here. The, the, the traditional rabbinic teaching was that an offended person needed to forgive a brother only three times. And then Jesus replies that forgiveness needs to be exercised even in a greater extent, not just seven, but 70 times seven. That, that's 490 times. Jesus was trying to convey that we didn't need to set any limits. He was saying that we don't need to keep track, and once we hit some certain threshold, we stop forgiving. But forgiving those that have wronged us has more to do with the impact it has on us as opposed to the impact it has on those who've wronged us. And I know there's incredible, valid pushback to this idea. If you knew what they had done to me, you would understand they deserve my anger frustration. They deserve that grudge I'm holding against them. And you're, you're probably right. They do deserve it. But, but that word deserve is a really complex idea. In fact, I want to go back to a story we looked at a couple weeks ago in Easter. It's the story of a young man named Joseph. If you're not familiar, Joseph at a young age was his father's favorite. While he had 11 other brothers, his father was blatant in his favoritism of Joseph, On on top of that, Joseph was this amazing dreamer. He had such big dreams that he unfortunately shared with his brothers who hated him even more for them. So so one day, Joseph's brothers plot to kill him. Fortunately, they don't end up killing him, but instead they sell him into slavery. They weren't exactly going to win the award for best brothers of the year. While, While in slavery... Joseph goes through a period of incredible ups and downs. He's purchased by the head of the Pharaoh's guard, Potiphar, then wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison and forgotten for a couple years. He finally ends up interpreting a dream the Pharaoh of Egypt had and is put as second in command over all of Egypt, the superpower of that day. It's a pretty remarkable comeback story, but I wouldn't really call it a comeback because God used every part of Joseph's journey as part of his ultimate big plan. And then we go back to Joseph's brothers. Can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes? Not only were there your brothers ready to kill you, but instead they sell you into slavery to complete strangers. Think about the baggage this would have brought to any young man. Talk about a dysfunctional family. For most of us, we would have held on to that for years, if not our entire lives. Joseph could have easily let this destroy him as he sat in that dark, damp prison, thinking about all the evil his brothers had caused and the pain they brought on him, how they robbed him of the dreams that he had. The hatred, the anger would have been all-consuming, but things were different with Joseph. How do I know that? Because Joseph was put in charge of gathering food in preparation for a famine that was coming to Egypt and that entire region of the world. And when the famine actually happened, Joseph was the singular figure dictating who received food and who did not. He had immense power and authority. And and while all this was happening, Joseph's family back in Canaan was suffering from the same famine. They had no idea what had happened to Joseph. All they knew was he was dead or maybe serving as a slave. So Jacob, Joseph's father, hears Egypt has this stockpile of food, sends his sons to Egypt to see if they can get some for their family. As they come to Egypt, who do you think the sons of Jacob have to meet to get the food? Yep, Joseph. And in fact, they would go get food from Joseph on a couple different occasions. Now this is years later. Joseph's brothers didn't even recognize him. As they walk in to petition this Egyptian official for food, they have no idea that the powerful man standing before them is the brother they had sold into slavery years earlier. Think about the chance Joseph was given to get back at his evil brothers. He could make life absolutely miserable for them. This was the best shot at revenge he could have ever asked for. And it's recorded in Genesis 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him, their faces to the ground. This was fulfilling the dream Joseph had as a young boy that ticked his brothers off. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. So Joseph now is given this opportunity to get back at his brothers. And while he doesn't seek revenge, he does test them. Through a number of instances, Joseph would have his workers hide things in their bags of food that they bought. He would accuse them of different things. All of this to see if they were willing to be truthful with him. And after a number of trips back and forth from Canaan to Egypt, Joseph's brothers are now standing before him. And Joseph can't hold it in any longer. He has to tell them who he is. In Genesis chapter 45, verse 1, here's what it says. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But, but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I would be too. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph is saying, even in the worst moments, I still saw God's purpose in my pain. And now look at what has happened. The lives that are being saved because I didn't allow this to stick to me. Now, now this is such a fascinating story because the man with the power is supposed to exercise his power against those who have wronged him. That, that's how life works, right? He, you may have been on the wrong end of that, or, or maybe you've exercised that against others. We're taught this, and it's modeled for us. Revenge is how the world goes round. But in exercising that right, you give up something incredibly valuable, your own health, well-being, and freedom. See, what sticks to us can sour us. When you are looking to repay evil with evil, it sticks to you. And what it sticks to, it slowly sours, it ruins. In your effort to ruin someone else, you end up ruining yourself. Joseph was able to respond the way he did with incredible wisdom and maturity because he was free. He wasn't bound by the chains of bitterness or anger or rage. Although he had been a slave, although he had been a prisoner, although he had been bound by chains at one point, He was never captive. He was a free man because he didn't let what happened to him stick to him. Joseph is an amazing example for many of us, but it almost seems unattainable. Like, how in the world do we not let the hurt that happens to us stick to us? How do we not hold a grudge, foster bitterness, burn with anger? After all, it's our natural human response. And on top of that, it's what everyone else does. And here's what's different with Joseph. If you read Genesis 37 and 39, you see how Joseph responded Uh, each time something would happen. And there's a phrase that is repeated throughout Joseph's story. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him favor. Now at face value, that seems like a pretty serious case of favoritism on God's part. Like when we are wronged, it doesn't seem like God is with us and he's showing us favor. Why Joseph and not us? And it's a valid question. But this is one one of the many things that I love about scripture. When you have questions about one story or passage, often the answer is found somewhere else in scripture. If you jump forward to the New Testament, to the book of James, we find our answer to this struggle, this question. James chapter 4 verse 7, James writes, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And James here is putting words to what Joseph was modeling. When something is sticking to you, bitterness is consuming you. It's not the time to fight back at a person, but to recognize the source of that pain. It might directly be a person, but it's ultimately Satan, the one trying to steal, kill and destroy everything good in your life. Walking in the freedom we see Joseph live with after the wrongs he had experienced and being able to extend forgiveness to his brothers happened because through all that had happened, all that took place, he continued to draw near to God, meaning he didn't determine it was his battle to win, but he allowed his attention to remain focused on God and what God could do in him and through him, even in difficult circumstances. You see, the closer we come to God, the more we can sense his purpose, even through painful moments. And This is what Paul wrote, wrote in the uh, book of Romans, chapter eight, verse 28. He said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, when our focus is on loving God and fulfilling his purpose, even the wrongs done against us can actually be turned around for good. As the song goes, what the enemy meant for evil, he turned it to good. And and today, whatever you're walking through, I want, I want to lead you in a prayer of release. For, for some of you, you've allowed things from your past to stick to you and it, and it has soured you in ways you don't even realize. Today is a time to step into freedom, to release the hold your past has on you and to extend that forgiveness that Joseph modeled in this story. As you do that, you can see freedom. You can see the reality of what Joseph modeled and lived out, a life that can actually say, I forgive you, and to step into what God wants to purpose in you, even through the most painful parts of your life. Would you you pray this prayer with me wherever you are, in your living room, in your car, wherever you might be? Just take a moment and repeat this prayer with me today. Dear God, today I release you. I release the pain. I release the wrong. Lord, I release the hurt has bound my life for too long. Today, Jesus, I accept your forgiveness and I extend forgiveness to those that have wronged me. Let me step into freedom, wholeness. Let me accomplish your good purposes in my life, even through the pain that I'm facing. No longer does this have to stick to me, but today I'm drawing near to you as you draw near to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that God doesn't want you to carry that baggage any longer, to allow all of that emotional stuff to stick to you. But today, just like Joseph, you can step into the incredible dream and purpose that God has for you. That you, even in a difficult time, this is the paradox, can experience the goodness of God. That's my hope for you. That's my prayer for you today. Thank you guys so much for joining us for this broadcast today. and We look forward to seeing you next Sunday as we kick off a new series called trying times walking through the book of ecclesiastes and it's going to be an exciting time as god continues to do work in our church even during this season have a great day and god bless